Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk here on a Tuesday. Dan Lobby alongside Mary Kay Cabot. We are going to do our Hey, Mary Kay uh, podcast today. Questions from our Football Insider subscribers. Before we do that, though, Mary Kay, as we were about to hit record, some breaking NFL news. Not a huge surprise, but it did officially happen. The Ravens placed the non-exclusive franchise tag on Lamar Jackson. That was the big question. Would it be the non-exclusive or the more expensive exclusive tag? Because it's the non-exclusive, it means he can go out uh, and shop for other offers. Other teams can negotiate. And if the Ravens don't match, if he signs elsewhere, they get two first-round picks in return. So an interesting AFC North development here uh, to, to kind of start this podcast off. Yeah, I mean, you could just tell at the end of last season that uh, things were starting to splinter a little bit between Lamar Jackson and the team. And even though John Harbaugh was saying that he would absolutely be back and that they would extend him, uh, you just I had been hearing rumblings that all was not well in Ravenstown. And now this gives teams an opportunity to make them an offer. And if they, you know, if he gets what he wants and they don't want to match it, he is gone from Baltimore. And it really changes the complexion of the AFC North. Uh, It really could change everything if they don't find a quarterback as good as Lamar Jackson to go out there and win games for them and try to contend in the AFC North. So it is a very big development. And it's, it's interesting, too, because quarterbacks don't normally hit the market like this. You know, when they have, and this isn't like true, true free agency, the Ravens do still have a, a measure of control here. But, um, you know, Mark, uh, Kirk Cousins was, was a guy that hit the market and he got all that guaranteed money uh, from Minnesota. Uh, and then, you know, Deshaun Watson didn't hit free agency, but that was sort of a free agency situation where teams were coming to visit with him and that ended up in $230 million guaranteed dollars. So, I am very interested to see in this situation if one team, two teams, I know the NFLPA is probably very interested to see uh, if someone's willing to come in and give him, say, 235 or 240 million fully guaranteed. If this is the next step in, you know, what they've been trying to get for a while is at least getting quarterbacks fully guaranteed deals. Yeah. And now that, you know, it might be a situation where, the Ravens, if they want to keep him, might have to do what they didn't want to do all along, and that was pay him that fully guaranteed money. And so, you know, this kind of all got started last year at the NFL owners meetings when, you know, when their owner, when when he came out against the um, fully guaranteed contract that, that Deshaun Watson received. So, um you know, it all the, that got the whole ball rolling, and it could have really ultimately resulted in what could be a split between the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, which it's like so hard to believe. But um, but this is you know this is where they are right now, and and it's going to be uh, very interesting and one of the biggest storylines in the NFL to see where this goes over the next few weeks. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, obviously, this certainly impacts the Browns uh, in many ways if Lamar Jackson is there or not there. Uh, so we will keep that uh, here front of mind as we head into the new league year starting next week. Uh, of course, like the Ravens can still negotiate. It's not you know it's not like negotiations have to stop now, uh, but this just means that they have control and now some other teams, if we get to next week, can uh, can start making offers. 
So let's continue down this road of quarterback contracts. Terry Richards in Peoria, Arizona. Hey, Mary Kay, do you suppose the impending Deshaun Watson restructure was always part of the plan? The original contract locked in the guaranteed money to get him here, and his contract will be more conventional going forward uh, to allow cap flexibility. I think that, yeah, that probably was part of the discussion, although it all happened very, very quickly. When you know you're getting $230 million guaranteed and, you know, that's what the deal is going to be, I don't think in that moment you necessarily have to map it out for the whole five years and determine exactly how it's going to come to you and when it's going to come and how much upfront money are you going to get every year. But I'm sure when they discussed parameters, uh, they probably talked about, you know, maybe each year trying to lower that cap number by giving a signing bonus and uh, and getting them under themselves under the cap. So I would have to say that, yeah, that it was part of it. And again, the whole thing to remember is he's going to get that money because it's the first fully guaranteed contract in the history of the NFL. He's going to get it. It's just a matter of when he's going to get it. And I think you have to do it year by year because if for some reason, you know, you decide uh, to trade him, then somebody else picks up that contract. So, um, so yeah, this is uh, part of what it's going to be like going forward and we might see him restructuring each year. Yeah. And, and a, a further point on this question was just asking it, you know, is a handshake deal like that permissible by the CBA? I don't think it was any sort of handshake deal. I just think it's the reality of NFL contracts. And when you have a really big contract like this, you're going to dip into it and try to move money around and try and lower kind of lower that cap number and, and push that down the road a little ways. Yeah. And again, you know, they might have to revisit it again next year and, you know, give them a $20 million upfront signing bonus or spread some things out or however they might do it and, uh, and lop another, whatever, 20, $25 million off of it next year. I mean, you know, not sure exactly how they're going to do it, but, um, but it's definitely something that you can do without having to dig into too many contracts, you know, because Deshaun's is so large, when you couple that with John Johnson, the three saving them $9.75 million on his um, cap number as a June 1st designation, uh, you know, you're going to have what you need for the most part to sign some uh, veteran free agents or to trade for some guys. So it's, um, yeah, it's going to be the sign of the times here over the next few years. Okay, so let's dip into free agency a little bit now. And we'll start with Shannon from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Hey, Mary Kay, so much talk about what is needed and will be done in free agency. Uh, no one really ever seems to know quite what Andrew Barry will do. Uh, but he said it sounded like we may be surprised by doing a little bit of nothing based on him seemingly leaning towards scheme and not just players being an issue on the defense. So the question here, is there any possibility that fans will be disappointed with a stand pat free agency period? You know, I don't think so. I really don't think so. Even if they get one big name guy and two, you know, lesser guys, I still think that uh, that that will make an impact. And I, I think that they're going to probably go out and try to get like a, a Jesse Bates or someone along those lines that can really come in here and help them. And, you know, they'll be looking for guys for the most part in the prime of their career. Um, you know, they'll be willing to pay one or two of those guys. I don't think you're going to see five guys come in here or six guys, 
that are sort of big name guys that are that have the potential to kind of break the bank a little bit. But I think you'll see at least a couple and that can transform your team. I mean, if you added Jesse Bates, that's a that's a big upgrade on your uh, in the back end of of your defense. There, someone that is a ball hawk can uh, can get three, four, maybe even five interceptions for you. Uh, And then I think they will look around for defensive tackles. There are good defensive tackles uh, that are going to become available by, um, you know, by March 15th. So between now and then, teams can obviously still re-sign their guys. Uh, The franchise deadline, as we're taping this, is coming up at 4 o'clock today. But for the most part, um, you know, the Browns are going to know after today who who they should have a, a good shot at. I, I did find it interesting, and, and Shannon pointed this out. I did think it was interesting that Andrew, when we talked to him, I think it was in the side session with him, did kind of indicate that, you know, not that they were going to stand pat, but he did sort of, when he was asked about, you know, sizes, body sizes, body types in the middle, he did specifically mention scheme as part of the issue. And and so I found that interesting, and, and I do wonder, like, does he believe you know, Jordan Elliott can thrive in a Jim Schwartz scheme. And, and that doesn't mean that he thinks Jordan, that Jordan Elliott's going to prevent him from signing a Brandon Graham or someone like that. But, you know, is he more optimistic maybe about some of these guys in a new scheme uh, than some other people might be? I think so. I think that, uh, that he probably thinks that a number of guys that did not reach their potential last year under Joe Woods will fare better under a more experienced and a little bit of a different coordinator in Jim Schwartz. So I do think that has something to do with it. You will see guys uh, that fit a little differently, that pop a little differently. And, um, and I think that they're pretty confident that Jim Schwartz will, will get some pretty good things out of players that might not have had their best seasons last year. And, you know, that includes a guy like a Perry on Winfrey. You know, a lot of these draft picks, you know, you, I just don't see this team giving up on these guys. Right, especially like a, a Jordan Elliott or Perry, you know Perry on Winfrey. It's so soon. I think the only thing that would get in the way for him is some something off the field or, or something like that. But uh, you know, I don't think this team is in a rush to give up on these guys necessarily. Even if they do go out and sign a big edge rusher or a big interior lineman. Yeah, I mean, and when you look at a guy like a Perry on Winfrey, I actually think that the Browns were happy with his development towards the end of the season, uh, where he started to flash a little bit on the field, maybe grew up a little bit off the field. And I think they're kind of eager to see what he's all about this year and eager to see what he's going to do in a probably a stricter, much more disciplined defense under Jim Schwartz. I don't think you're going to be able to get away with some of the things that some of these guys got away with. Uh, last season and the season before, I think uh, they he will have a, a tighter, firmer grip on the defense. Okay, so let's stick with Jim Schwartz and, and kind of this theme here. Uh, Ace from Cleveland Heights. Hey, Mary Kay, can Jim Schwartz get Greg Newsom to accept a slot role? You know what? I From everything that we've heard from Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry, and any anything else kind of coming out of that building, it really seems to me like they they don't feel like this is a story. The fact that he said no to wanting to play inside, I think that um, they're not going to have a, a long drawn out conversation with him about this. Hey, your role is you've got versatility. You play some outside. You're going to play some inside, and that's what we need you to do. 
And we hope you have a great season. I, it's going to go something like that, I think. And I think that Jim Schwartz will be able to uh, to get Greg Newsom to see the wisdom in being versatile. It's an asset and uh, just how much they value him being able to do both things. Yeah, I, th- I think the the problem Greg is facing is, you know, we've talked about the playing time part of it, but also like he doesn't really have a lot of like power in this in this whole situation. He's in year three. He's still on his rookie deal. Um, he, I mean, he's been he's certainly shown flashes, and you know, I certainly think he can be a good player, but he still kind of has to show it a little bit. So, you know, if he wants to get that second contract and you know get paid something close to like what Denzel got, or even, you know, just get paid in general on that second contract. He kind of just has to suck it up and do it. And that that's probably why these guys just aren't really concerned. Yeah, that is true. Um, but conversely, that's probably also why, uh, you know, Greg Newsom is having um, some issues with this because, you know, the, the moneymakers play on the outside and, and they, uh, you know, they go one-on-one with the best receivers in the NFL and, you know, they're the guys that, you know, make the Pro Bowls and, and those kinds of things. So I do think that there is probably some uh, thought on Greg's part that, you know, he's he might not get to be that guy, that shut down, lockdown corner on the outside uh, that he believes he can be and, you know, that he, he really wanted to build on his season from last year and, you uh, and so I think that probably is weighing heavily on his mind. So we'll, we'll see where this goes. Um, you know, he might come in and say to us, oh, that was just, that was just social media stuff. I was just goofing around. And, you know, I mean, he, he uh, might. No, that would, that would not surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah, I was just goofing around. It's social media. Because the thing about, um, you know, that age group is that that's kind of how they treat social media in a lot of cases they don't really take it as seriously, you know, I mean, for us, you know, we look at it like, oh, that's, you know, written in stone and he really feels that way. And this is so important for them. I'm telling you, there is a lot of throwing stuff against the wall, see what sticks, mix it up, you know, and get some engagement going on, you know, that's the kind of thing that happens on, on social media right now. And he might just come right out and say, that was nothing. That was me just goofing around on social media. And I don't think the Browns are taking it seriously at this point at all. Yeah. He might've just typed out N O and then gone on with his day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I, I think you're right. Cause he is, what is it? Is he 20, 22, 21? He's, he's still really young. Yeah. So yeah. um yeah, it could just be that, just doing it for the clicks. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and again, I you know, I have uh, I have kids that age, and so they help me remember that social media is not a real world to them. It's just this space where they can throw out whatever they want to say whatever they want to, do whatever they want to. And I think you can see that on the part of a number of of Browns. They use it like that. It's just this existential thing where you, you know, you just tweet whatever's on the top of your what's on the top of your head or on Snapchat, you throw out a picture, whatever, you know, whatever you're seeing in the moment is what uh, you know, is what you're going to throw out there. So it's very in the moment and it doesn't necessarily mean that he is not willing to play inside. Now, 
he maybe he's not willing to play inside and he's going to dig his heels in and ha- try to have a conversation with them and say, no, I, that's not who I am. I want to be the best that I can be for this team, for this city, for myself. Uh, and maybe he will have a convo with them about it. But there is also a world in which this was just social media fodder. We are not that far removed from when Demarius Randall almost had to give away a bunch of jerseys. <laughs> yeah. He just went on Twitter and tweeted something stupid and then it took off and it was a story for an, an entire NBA finals. Right. And, you know, those kinds of things do happen and, uh, you know, different, different generations and different entities view it differently. Right. I mean, I still, you know, look at the no and I think, Oh, you know, that, that looks like a kind of a big deal to me. And so I wrote about it. Uh, not, not everybody might look at it like that. They might just think, Oh, he's just, He's just out here goofing around. And we haven't been able to ask him yet. We haven't seen him anywhere uh, to ask him which one is the case. But judging from the way the Browns are handling it, I almost kind of think it's going to turn out to be more of just social media stuff. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I'm actually going to look this up. I might have seen this last week um, in kind of the chaos of the combine. He might be going on a little social media blackout. Um, yeah, February 27th. See y'all in May signed out. So, oh, <laughs> I didn't even know that. I, 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 I kind of, now that we're talking about, it, I kind of remember seeing something like that. Um, in the, was that the day we, we got to Indianapolis or something? I don't know. But, um, yeah, apparently he's just not, apparently he's, he's going the, the no social media route. We all should do that. If, if we're <laughs> <being> smart. Sure. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a short uh, podcast break here, and then when we come back, we are going to answer some questions about free agency and some of the Browns' own free agents. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast and lobby with Mary Kay Cabot, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. So a couple of questions about a specific Browns free agent. Uh, This comes from Mavro in Columbus. Hey Mary Kay, let's say Kareem Hunt does not get the money he is looking for. Being from Cleveland, would there be a possible return or would pride get in the way and prevent it? You know, as I've been saying on this pod, I think it's one of those the ship has sailed type of situations. I think that they're going to let him walk. I think they're ready to uh, change up the vibe in their running back room and kind of move on to, you know, some of the younger guys, give Jerome Ford those reps. And so I, I don't see it happening. But the thing to always remember at this time of year is that you can never say never, right? And the best example of that is that the Browns probably really didn't feel like they were going to end up with Deshaun Watson at this time last year, right? I mean, there were so many things that were going to be working against them uh, in order for him to land here that it seemed like an almost like not going to happen type of thing. Um, but in free agency and the trade market and all of that, uh, you really do have to say, you know, never say never because anything, anything can happen. Guys that you don't think are going to come back, come back. I mean, look at Dearness Johnson. I didn't think Dearness Johnson would come back after getting only four carries last year. But, you know, now I think there's a really good chance that he will be back unless he finds a really nice offer out there uh, where he's pretty well assured of getting plenty of, of touches of the football. Um, so I'm going to say no on Kareem right now based on, you know, there, there was, you know, that was a little dicey in the summer when he was 
asking to be traded and not going in on, um, you know, into practice reps and stuff like that. I mean, he got himself turned around and he played as hard as he always does. Uh, but it just does still have a feel like goodbye to me. It had a weird vibe all year too. Uh, you know, cream mm-hmm. showed up and he played hard and they, he, you know, he did, he, he wasn't an issue. He did what they asked him to do. Um, but you know, even leading up to the trade deadline, you know, it was, we talked to him after that Cincinnati game, he put his little joker mask on that he wore into the stadium uh, during that game or during that interview. And it, it was just always sort of hanging over um, leading up to the trade deadline. Would it happen? And then after the trade deadline, kind of, you know, were you disappointed you didn't get traded? And I don't think he ever shied away from that stuff necessarily. So um, it was, it, it just had a weird vibe all year, even though it didn't translate to anything on the field. Yeah, I remember, um, you know, when he, I looked, I had my binoculars on him before the, um, before the Bengals Monday night game. And I just looked over there. I don't know why I decided to look at him at that time, probably because I thought, oh, this could be his last game here. I wonder how he's processing it. And he just had tears streaming down his cheeks. And uh, that was pretty incredible to see that. And then I, you know, I asked him about it and he admitted, you know, how emotional that was for him. It's hard for him to leave here. You know, this is the team that gave him a chance. The only team that gave him a chance after his issues off the field and getting cut by Kansas city, which was so emotional. And he ran into some off the field troubles after that, because uh, that was such a difficult situation for him uh, to deal with, but he really kind of, got himself turned around and, uh, you know, became a productive citizen that, you know, gave back to the community and followed his program and did everything that he was supposed to do. And I would have to say that he was, he was a success, a success story in terms of acquiring a guy with off the field issues that, you know, kind of gets it turned around and does a decent job on and off the field for you. So, um, you know, I, I think he had a pretty nice career here. Uh, hopefully somebody else will give him a chance and uh, that he will go on to play for several more years. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he was a, a success story, too. My dog also agrees with you. He has been very active <laughs> on the on the podcast recently. So uh, there, there we go. Uh, here's another question related to Kareem Hunt. This comes from uh, Paxton Styles in Chevrolet, Maryland. And here's why... I've never met Paxton, but here's why I like Paxton. Last week, we said that that was one of our favorite names. I mentioned that that sounds like a guy maybe who's in a boy band, and he says in parentheses, Paxton Styles, parentheses, boy band member. So Paxton, <laughs> there you go. I like it. It's a sense of humor from, uh, from our buddy Paxton. Um, all right, Love the it. question here. Hey, Mary Kay, if you could keep just one of the players the Browns will most likely lose this offseason for any number of reasons – who would you keep and why? And the reason this is a sort of Kareem Hunt adjacent question is because that is the player that he picked. You know, I think it would be Ethan Posick for me. Uh, I think that that Ethan Posick has a good chance of finding a new home because of the money he can make out on the open market. And I think, and we talked about this some on our podcast yesterday, and that is, I just think that center is such a valuable position. Uh, I think that Nick Harris, although they believe in him and think he's going to be really great, I think when you're coming off of a major knee injury like that, it's always a little dicey. You already know what you have in Ethan Posick. And, you know, when you're rolling to 
Deshaun Watson out there to play for uh, his first full season. You want everything to be set. You want things to be good. And I think one of the best ways to do that would be to somehow retain Ethan Posick. That's what I would do. Yeah, I think he's the, the obvious number one. I could see the argument for Kareem. The, the argument the Paxton made was if he were used correctly, he could be effective. Um, I would throw out, I'm going to go with Taki Taki, which is funny because I don't think that would have been my answer, you know, five months ago. But when you're looking at guys who are headed for free agency, you're looking at those linebackers. We talked about them a little bit yesterday, Anthony Walker and Taki Taki. And I think, I think they stumbled into something with this guy all of a sudden. Like four years in, I think they might've found something there. Yeah. I mean, he was showing signs in his first few years of being really good against the run. He showed flashes and then the lights really kind of came on for him uh, last year. The game slowed down a little bit and he did a really nice job. And I think they will try to resign him. And I think they probably will be successful. So I think Anthony's coming back. I think Sione Takitaki's coming back. I think Dearness Johnson has a good chance of coming back. Um, So out of some of those guys, there, you know, there aren't a ton that I think are going to be gone. I think Greedy's gone. I've written this the other day. I think Ronnie Harrison's gone. Uh, but I think Anthony and Sione can can be back. And I think Ethan is all about the money. And that one would be surprising if he can come back. But if they find a way to do it, that would be good for them. And, and I don't, I mean, I don't blame him. The guy's sort of been, you know, he, he certainly didn't come here to end up being the starting center. And now he, he kind of stumbled into a lottery ticket. So uh, I, I certainly don't blame them. This is a quick one from Kevin in Kingsport, Tennessee. Very straightforward. Hey, Mary Kay, why did the John Johnson III experiment fail? Oh, you know, it's disappointing. We have talked about this uh, on, on the pod a number of times because, you know, he's a fan favorite. He's a locker room favorite. He's got a great g- gregarious personality. He's a good football player. And it just really wasn't a fit. He won, you know, he was used to being more versatile. He was used to playing all over the place. He was used to always having the green sticker and, you know, calling the defensive shots and uh, just having so much more authority out on the field and having an opportunity to make more big plays. And he just didn't have those chances here. And so I actually do think, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but I think that, you know, he probably will be happier somewhere else too, where he is viewed a little bit differently than he he sort of was by, you know, by last season. And some of it was, I mean, the first year uh, he was pretty stationary playing deep and uh, and he just, he never rocked the boat. I mean, he always just did what he was asked to do. Um, but I have to wonder, you know, maybe he should have asked for a little bit more of what he wanted along the way. And then, you know, maybe he would have, if he had gotten it, then perhaps, you know, they would have made some kind of an effort to restructure him, which they did not do. And I wrote that. I can't even remember if I wrote that yesterday or not. Uh, One of these days I wrote that they did not go to John Johnson three and say, hey, we'd love to have you here, but 13.5 million is too much. We'd like to keep you around at whatever the number is that we feel comfortable with, you know, and then start negotiating from there. That didn't happen. I mean, they basically just had a conversation uh, with his reps and they agreed that it was time to move on. So I thought that was significant, too. That was in your Sunday Insider. It was? Okay. I knew I wrote it somewhere. (laughs) Yes, I think so. I read it somewhere, which I think it was was that Sunday Insider. Um, So here's another John Johnson question. Bob Marsh in Lenhurst. 
Uh, hey, Mary Kay, if the Browns are releasing JJ3, I don't think they should go out and spend that big money on another safety. Do you agree he thinks the money needs to go into the front seven? Well, I don't think it has to be an either-or situation. I don't think you have to say, oh, we're saving $9.75 million over here on JJ3, so we have to use that over here on Jesse Bates. It doesn't have to be like that. You Somehow you clear cap space, you end up with a lump sum of money to do whatever you want with that money, and, uh, and then you go out and you spend it accordingly. And depending on how you do the contracts, let's say you do a four-year contract for Jesse Bates. You can spread that money out to the point where your first two years are not going to be huge numbers. You can, you know, back end those contracts a little bit um, and give him, you know, the upfront bonus money. And so therefore uh, you can do that and still add to your defensive line pile, which they obviously need to do. Okay. So I mentioned my dog has been very active. I think there it is. I hear a cat in the background here. So this, yes. is, a, uh, this is a very animal-friendly podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know where, uh, where old Shelby is or if it is Shelby. But yes, we, uh, we've got a lot going on here. Some animal therapy going on here today. Yeah, see, there you go. Uh, I guess you need it when, when you cover the Browns sometimes. Uh, <laughs> yes. All right, that will do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Those questions came from our Football Insider subscribers. If you want to get involved, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner on the top of the page to get info for that, get signed up. Uh, you get a newsletter every day. Sometimes Mary Kay answers some questions in that newsletter. We all chip in writing that newsletter uh, that you'll get. You also get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns and get subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, but especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, that'll do it. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. 